Hey, Sage Gang, thanks for bringing us uh, Bible reading again this week. I don't think I saw the cat wander through that time, so that was a bit disappointing. I was kind of hoping for that, but thanks for, thanks for that. As Sandy said, it's the same Bible reading as last week, um, and that's because, you know, when I first sort of started out, I had ideas of what I would preach each week, but occasionally I get to a passage I think I'm going to do in one week, but I end up doing it in two and uh, so this is like Luke. Uh, it's been described as the slow walk uh, through Luke. And that's, that's possibly why, because I just keep stringing stuff out as we go along. But that's okay. Hey, let's pray, and, uh, and then we can get to work uh, in the second half of this passage. Loving God, we want to just kind of just stop and pause, uh, still our hearts in a way, um, as we come to your word this morning. Uh, we pray that as we just kind of dig around in it, uh, that you would um, just warm our hearts with affection for you, that you, would, that you would challenge us in spaces where we need to be challenged, that you would heal us in spaces where we need to be healed, and, and that you would encourage us in spaces where we need to be encouraged. Lord, we think of our state of Victoria at the moment and as we push deeper and deeper into uh, these stage four restrictions, this lockdown, we know that that is pushing us uh, deeper and deeper into our own uh, capacities and our own resources and and just kind of hammering us in that area. We pray uh, more and more as as we're challenged with that, that we would lean and press into you um, that you would that you would meet us in that space. We pray that we would be just kind of thoughtful enough just to ring around and touch base uh, with people. We continue to pray for our leaders uh, that you would dial wisdom into their thinking and to how they're kind of bringing us out of um, this environment. Uh, Lord, we just pray uh, for all these things now. We lift them up before you. We know you're a God who hears, who listens, and is concerned for our well-being and welfare. So, Lord, be with us now. May your Holy Spirit guide our hearts and our minds as we look into your word this morning. Amen. Well, last week, if you were in last week's sermon and you were here, um, you would have heard me say that like, if you're a, sp- a fan of sport, if you've watched sport for any time, whether it's football or basketball or soccer, or you've followed some kind of athletic discipline, uh, at some point you'll have heard the commentators uh, refer to a player or an athlete having just a, a breakout game or a breakout performance where they just... Uh, where they just put it all together and they stamp their authority uh, on the game and they let the world know that they are actually up to and equal to all the hype and, uh, and all the hope that may have followed them uh, in their sporting journey, that may have surrounded them uh, in their career to date. And that's what Luke is doing for us uh, here in this passage He has given us a day in the ministry of Jesus where Jesus just kind of stamped his authority on the game to do and to be exactly what all the testimony and all the witness and all the hype and talk around Jesus proclaimed and pointed to that he would be. Like if you were to pick up the champion data stats and and predictions on Jesus, like you find them in the Old Testament, uh, you would read that he's going to be elite at bringing fringe players into the game, Uh, that he's going to be elite at teaching and transforming uh, hearts and minds. Uh, He's going to be capable of um, miraculous displays of power that impact the well-being of, of players, of those that the game is kind of chewed up and spat out, that he's just going to be able to, he's going to, be able to remake and restart the careers of players, if you like. 
And Jesus himself had signaled uh, in a press conference, a.k.a. AKA a church service in his hometown on a previous Sabbath, that he's no ordinary player, that he, he has a full understanding that he is completely different to anyone who has ever walked this earth and that he is the Messiah, in fact, um, come sent into this world to heal and to change. And that as he spoke about that, it was just completely uh, confrontingly different to how the middle class kind of Bible belt uh, good folk of Israel thought a Messiah was going to roll. He's preaching from and using imagery out of Isaiah. Jesus says that God has anointed him and sent him to be good news to the poor. And what that means is that no one's missing out, that, that everyone's going to be swept into this good news, including the poor. And in fact, they're going to become a special focus of this good news. It's proclaiming liberty to captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, uh, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus is saying, I'm here not to merely affirm or not even even to affirm the salvation that good people think they've earned. Those, the people who fail to see their need. He's not here to bring salvation. He's here to bring salvation to people who have, you know, shockingly dark pasts, to people whose current reality is one of despair and anguish. I'm here for those who actually see their need of salvation. Be they rich, be they poor, be they good, uh, be they bad. Jesus is saying there is no one that is so good that they don't need uh, my salvation. And there is no one who is so bad that they can't have my salvation. And then Jesus is kind of like, and if that's not enough for you, uh, because uh, you have a hard time seeing this, because you have a hard time of seeing yourselves that way, I'm going to use those who you think aren't deserving of God's blessing to be ground zero of the community who live out the spiritual and social transformations that the kingdom of God, as Jesus proclaims it, brings into effect. These claims are so big. These claims are so radical that this audience that heard them are like, man, we're just going to beat you uh, to death. And they try and drag him out and do that. So Luke takes this another Sabbath day to give us a highlight reel, if you like, of, of, of how Jesus stamps his authority uh, to transform, to renew, uh, to restore, to bring salvation into the lives of the very people that he said he would. And let me tell you something like spoiler alert. I don't know if you've kind of gotten on to this. This is just one of many, like again and again. And again, we will see in Luke how Jesus shows his authority to transform, to reverse, uh, to turn upside down what sin has done to God's good design for human flourishing, uh, our joy and his glory. Uh, Jesus makes clean is a word we keep coming across. He makes clean and acceptable what sin has made foul and offensive in the sight of God. And he just does it with ease and he does it freely like i don't know if you've noticed but every time a demon or some element uh that has absolutely no interest or, or, or loving desire uh for the program that jesus 
is is moving to. Every time they try to hijack it, manipulate it, or kind of try and control the PR in it, Jesus just like silences them. He won't be manipulated or pushed into an agenda that isn't his. Like even Peter, like uh, if you read Matthew's gospel towards the end, poor old Peter, he's he's like Jesus. Jesus is like I'm I'm going to the cross. Um, you know the, the the religious leaders are gonna gonna beat me. I'm gonna suffer and I'm gonna die. And then three days later, I'm gonna rise. And Peter's like, no, that doesn't fit the script. And even and even he is told to be quiet by Jesus. Well, last week we saw how Jesus' teaching had authority to bring a spiritually blind, dead, rebellious hearts to life. Jesus just spoke a word. Uh, and, and hearts were trauma. Jesus spoke as the word of God, not about the word of God. And then we looked at how Jesus had authority over something that, that, that we just freak out about, that we have no control over. So we like to either trivialize it or glamorize it through Hollywood or horoscopes, or sometimes we just kind of flat out deny it, uh, its existence. And that's the, the spiritual world. And that there's the reality of the spiritual world that just like Star Wars, uh, there's a dark side to it, an evil and oppressive side to it. But unlike Star Wars, it's not some kind of cosmic dualistic struggle where we wonder, you know, who's going to win? Uh, who's going to win this fight? Jesus' authority over this area is so unchallenged, so comprehensive that the most powerful evil expressions of evil, like demons, just kind of simply whimper off at the sound of his voice. And, and, and those that they are oppressing are left and restored completely unharmed. And that kind of brings us up. Like that, that's just a, that brings us up to uh, what Jesus does next. This is still the same day. Uh, everyone is just amazed at Jesus and the authority that he exercises. And like he's beginning, he's like instantly trending on social media. Reports about him are heading out into all uh, the areas and every place around. But Jesus is kind of like, well, you know, who's place for lunch? Like hungry dogs got to eat, right? And menu log is still like 2,000 years away. So where are we going? And so they're off to Simon's house. Uh, to, to go and to have lunch there and probably for one of Jesus' favorite meals. He's pretty fond of fish. And, uh, and so that's kind of always on the table at Peter's house. As it's not until chapter 5, though, that Luke lets us know that this is Simon, uh, one of Jesus' disciples uh, that, that comes later. He just, he just assumes that we kind of know who Simon is. And it seems that Simon is one of those people who have had their hearts uh, shocked and transformed by Jesus' teaching. Like he's been sitting in the synagogue and listening to Jesus, and, and, and it's just kind of, it's just got hold of him. And now Peter's house is a place to continue uh, that conversation and learn more from Jesus. Like in Mark's gospel, this incident is described as the house of Peter and Andrew and James and John are there. Like it's just a little fishing club. There's probably a man cave there that they all hang out in. And not to mention the fact that Peter's mother-in-law, uh, she just makes the best fish and chips in Capernaum. So they're, they're heading back there for lunch. The only problem is, is that Luke tells us that lunch is on hold at, Simon, at Simon's house because Simon's mother-in-law, uh, and if you grew up, like if you grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, just let that sentence sink in. Simon has a mother-in-law and she is ill with a high fever. 
Now, Mark's gospel simply says that she was ill with a fever. But we know our boy Luke is a doctor, and he has a thing for accurate details that enhance the story. And Luke is actually using a medical term, uh, telling us that Simon's mother-in-law has a high-grade fever that, that's kind of got side effects of dysentery, if you like. And you're like, oh, it's too much detail. We don't need to know that. But that's Luke's point. You do need to know that. This, this kind of symptoms, these kind of side effects, they, they literally make her ceremonially uh, toxic. It's a condition that makes her unclean. It takes her out of society. And anyone who would come in contact with her in this condition, they become unclean. She's not just sick. Uh, she's critically sick, but she's also socially toxic. Like... She needs help, but no one in their right mind is going to go near her. You know, being sick like this was not a call to arms in Jesus' day. There weren't hospitals dedicated to the healing of sick people. Like the best you could hope for, perhaps you had leprosy and you got to hang out in a little camp on the outskirts of town next to the tip and you could, you could hang out there. Sickness and illness Disease and deformity were not moved toward. Rather, they were seen as as manifestations of of God's displeasure towards you or towards something you had done. And And this is everywhere. This is every culture. On, on, on the planet, if you like, every religious explore, expression up to this date. And because of that, you could be treated uh, as rejected, as unclean, as unfit for society. And you were cut off. You cut off from going to the shops. You cut off from running a business. You're even cut off from going to church. That's what being unclean did to you. Your presence made things unclean. So you, you, you were seen as being capable of spreading the curse. It's a little bit like being a Victorian at the moment. At its worst e- expression, uh, if you had an illness, a disease, or a deformity, you fell into this class of people called sinners. Like you must have done something to warrant your infirmity or your incapacity. Like that's the question that's in John 9, right? Like this dude, who, who sinned, this dude or his parents, that he is born blind. Fear and judgment, not compassion, surround these people. Bad theology dogged these people. Doctrinal cruelty oppressed these people. Who changed the world? Who changed the course of human history in this space? Who corrected bad theology? Who corrected the application of doctrine towards these people? Jesus did. The next time someone wants to bang on to you about how Christianity is bad for society, just take them to a public school or a public hospital or any institution that offers its services regardless of socioeconomics, regardless of racial background, of gender, of religious affiliation. Take them to an institution that moves toward danger to provide care and recovery for those who cannot repay for those who cannot possibly contribute uh, to their own return, uh, to to their own well-being, and simply say that is a product of the church that arose out of encountering Jesus, out of encountering the kingdom that he was bringing into the world. Grace is something 
The way we understand grace now did not exist in the mind of thinkers until Jesus put put a, con- a, a context around it. And I haven't even mentioned how Jesus, you know, initiated the equality of people, like being a woman who had issues, like being being someone like Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, made you even more disenfranchised, even more discarded. And who do we see dialing into these people? Who do we see moving towards these people? Who do we see bringing hope and, and, and restoring these people? It's Jesus. Women and children move toward. The poor, the poor, those who don't have their own power. Jesus changes how we value people regardless of what they have to offer in return. And in Luke's gospel, we see that happening time and time and time again. Jesus restores those who can't restore themselves, who institutions and systems ha- have not designed you know, pathways for. Well, when Jesus hears that Simon's mother-in-law has been, has been hit with this dangerous fever that has reduced a perfectly good and fit and healthy, strong woman to a, a, fa- a frail, kind of bedridden uh, a corpse, just, just kind of leaking things. He moves towards the illness. Jesus initiates compassion, and not from a safe distance. He's right beside the bed. He's standing over the sick Woman, he's coming into contact with that which is unclean. Why? Because he has the authority over illnesses to reverse them. He has the authority to to make clean what is unclean. And, and, And just with words, Jesus rebukes the fever. There's no effort. There's no, there's no praying up enough faith. There's no, hey, why don't you send your tax deductible donation into us and, and we'll see how this thing ends. No, Jesus speaks, fever gone. And not just the fever gone, but Peter's mother-in-law is instantly restored uh, to full health and she is back in community She's not just physically healed, she's socially restored. There's no 14 days isolation just to make sure, you know, it's gone okay. Um, She's just back and she's there. She's cooking the fish and chips for the boys. And it's just a picture of complete, beautiful transformation and restoration. Jesus demonstrates his power and his authority over the physical world. And we have a a term for this. Uh, We call it a miracle. A miracle is a word that Christians use uh, too casually a lot of the time, and they often use it unwisely. It helps to understand why Jesus performed so many miracles during his earthly ministry. He didn't do it to teach us to expect miracles. He didn't do it to set some kind of normative pattern of expectation. That's why the rubbish that rolls out of Bethel and Bill Johnson is so misleading. Great music, terrible theology. Jesus performed miracles to confirm his identity as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the one God has anointed to to bring healing, to bring salvation, to fully restore people, to make them clean and bring them back into community, not merely with just family and friends, but back into community with God. 
Jesus is stamping his authority over all things so that you know that there is nothing that he can't restore you from. There's no, no thing that, that, that can, can stop him from bringing you back into you know, fellowship with God, back into life with your creator. The apostles used miracles themselves to validate their gospel message had the same authority of Jesus. Their miracles validated that their message was attached, came from the message of Jesus. Jesus' miraculous power reveals that he has authority to overrule what sin, like in general terms, has done to creation whenever he pleases. But it's, but it's something that's rare, you know. That's why it's called a miracle and not a common. That's why it's called a miracle and not a sign of faith. Does Jesus still do the miraculous in this world, like right now? Of course, of course he does. And especially when the gospel is first encountering or going into a new culture or a new area. I can tell you a story of miraculous healing with someone I know. It has no medical foundation or expectation. Medical science and its resource had been defeated by this illness. There was literally no curative hope. They weren't gravely ill. They were terminally consigned. And I have no other explanation than Jesus moved toward them, stood over them, and healed them. I guess I won't know for sure until I ask him. But I'm very confident that that's what's happened. But as we see in a minute, the miraculous is not Jesus' main calling because Jesus is well aware that the miraculous can become a, a, a condition for faith, of faith in Jesus, rather than something Jesus does regardless of faith. You know, what brings you to a faith in Jesus is what's going to sustain you to a faith in Jesus. And if it's not, just trust in his words, in his goodness. If you need some big hype thing, a song or a miracle, that's what you're going to have to keep going back to time and time again to reassure you that you're back at the place you started. Jesus knows that the miraculous never held anyone in faith, but it certainly misled faith. The absence of a miracle is certainly not the absence of Jesus. If you want to know what the greatest miracle is, it is that a heart has been transformed uh, from, from needing signs and wonders, from trusting in self-sufficiency to trusting in Jesus' claims to be the one who can restore us back into community with God. That's a miracle. That's supernatural. Listen, I want to be very clear on this. Because there is, there is a lot of, to be honest, just doctrinal cruelty out there, just ma- mainly in the health, wealth, and prosperity lane. Maybe in that, in that lane, uh, you know, that you should be able to do what Jesus did. Just all that kind of crap that floats around out there. The absence of a miracle in your life, you know, apart from the Holy Spirit's um, use of the gospel to transform your heart, is not the absence of faith or God's approval. Or, or his favor, or his blessing, or his salvation in your life. Health, wealth, and prosperity are not indicators of God's love. Often, in fact, Jesus is using what we consider to be hardships, what we would want to pray out of our lives just magically, uh, to be doing a healing that goes much deeper than our, than our bodies. 
It may be that he is treating a disorder that you, you, you are not aware of, or something perhaps that you lean on uh, more than faith in Jesus alone. Like that was the issue back in Nazareth. Like you do a magic trick for us, Jesus. If Jesus hadn't done the miracle that you prayed for, you can be sure that it is not because he doesn't love you, but it is because that he is working something more profound, something more beautiful, if you like, in your life. Well, that's the Sabbath ended, Luke tells us. Um, And that means that people are are able to move their 5k restrictions have been lifted they can travel now it's actually it's actually about 2000 cubits uh of travel which is closer to a kilometer so our 5k restriction is pretty generous really but anyway it's the end of the sabbath and people can move around now and social media has done its job you know people have heard about this so in verses 40 to 41 people are just flooding the house of peter and they're bringing the sick and the oppressed to Jesus. And Jesus exercises his authority over the physical world and the spiritual world to do exactly what he had claimed his kingdom would do. Liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, setting at liberty all those who are oppressed. Like Jesus can do what he claimed to do. And this goes all night. Luke tells us that, that when it was day, Jesus departed. So like the next day, Jesus departs. So Jesus has been treating people all night, hearing their stories, bringing the compassion of God into into their lives via his word and his deeds. So you guys who are pulling long hours in the medical world uh, at the moment, you get how Jesus is feeling. Like he's just pulled a 24-hour shift and he is cooked. He's been dealing with very high need, uh, very, very dangerous, very contagious cases. And right here, Jesus teaches us something that even the very best of us need to rest. Like you might be a high output unit, but trust me, on your best day with the best hit of like almond milk, double shot espresso coffee, uh, Jesus has got you covered. And he retreats and he rests. No matter how big a deal you are, no matter how many people depend on you, you need to rest. You need to Sabbath. And time and time again, Jesus retreats away um, to rest. And often in prayer with the Father, which is a detail that Mark adds into uh, this account of the story. Jesus knows that what the heart needs most is not miraculous works, it's not big efforts and energy, but the Father's presence. It's not about uh, doing, doing, doing. It's more about taking time to be, be, be. Like, let that sink in to us at the moment. Jesus' time alone is short-lived, and the local community want to install Jesus as the resident kind of Centrelink outfit. Uh, Jesus could be their teacher, their counselor, their doctor, you know, all rolled into one. Jesus could probably set up a, 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 a ministry center, if you like, a, a Christian life center, perhaps. It'd be a great economic boost to the town. You know, maybe write a few books or something or other. However, the divine priority, why Jesus has been sent, is not to be a, a miracle worker. Uh, time and time again, Jesus says he must go, uh, continue to move around and preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. 
The kingdom of God is a phrase that captures a reality where God's good design for life is followed and enjoyed for our joy and for the glory of God. John kind of calls it, you know, a life in the full. It's a complex kind of reality in the New Testament that has a that has a now component to that reality, seen in Jesus' ability to uh, restore what sin has destroyed and alienated as he moves around. We can see him reversing and turning all this upside down. And then it has a, a not yet component that that, when, that at one day uh, the whole of creation will be restored. The whole of uh, creation will be reconciled. And Revelation 20, 21 gives us this beautiful picture of when evil is completely eradicated and removed. And, and 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 physical health is completely restored and there's no more tears and there's no more sadness. Jesus constantly preaches that in him this reality is encountered and, and his miracles back up the claim. They're like visual aids to show uh, the kind of great reversal and new life that can be found in Jesus. I mean, we have to be careful that we don't turn Jesus into our own personal wonder worker, like a, like a genie sort of setup, someone who we would have around just to get uh, something other than what Jesus ultimately came uh, to give his life to achieve. And that, is, and that is fellowship with God. That is peace with God. That's the healing of the heart from the condemnation of sin that separated us and alienated us from God. Jesus performed miracles to demonstrate that he is not just some kind of mere moralist, um, not just a teacher, not some kind of motivational speaker or psychologist, that he is the one who has the authority to defeat evil forces, that dominate and hold humanity captive blind and separated from God, that he is the one that has the authority to overrule the physical rules of decay and death, the dog and rob us of life. You know, on the cross and the empty tomb is where Jesus powerfully and permanently stamped his authority uh, to once and for all disarm the forces of evil and the grip of sin and to offer a new way to live to those who hear his gospel uh, of restored life found in him. And that is the greatest miracle uh, that you can encounter. And as Paul tells us in Romans 8, uh, there is nothing that can stand in the way of that miracle coming into your heart. And then once it's there, there is nothing that can rip that away from you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for this uh, amazing gospel of Luke where we are just encountering your heart for your people through your son uh, that he has come into the world to demonstrate how it is that he he overcomes sin he restores what is broken that he brings life into spaces that were dead that he restores people back into community and fellowship, but ultimately that he would bring us back into life with you, that we could know you as a father, that we could know you as a loving God and not just something to be feared or feel like we've got to earn our way back into, but that Jesus does this freely for us, that it's a gift. And we give you thanks for that and we pray uh, that more and more we would come to understand this, this would shape our hearts and our minds and our lives 
and that that would be the doctrine, that that would be the theology that drive our practice in life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.